0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the first ever digital live stream of the Fast Company Podcast Network. I'm Casey Finey, host of Creative Conversation, and I'm joined by Secrets of the Most Productive People host, Kate Davis.
1: Hi, Casey.
0: Hi, Kate. (laughs) And I'm also joined by Fast Break host, Talib Visram.
2: (laughs) Hey, Casey. Great to be here with you. Oh,
0: likewise, as if we don't slack every day.
2: But (laughs) today we're here to
0: talk about (laughs) 2020, the year that changed everything. And of course, we're not going to be able to talk about everything that happened because, you know, spoiler alert, a lot happened. But even the the topics that we do cover, we may only be scratching the surface, but we are going to try to wrap our minds around the events, the trends, and let's be frank, the traumas that have changed society and the way we live. So... How's everyone's 2020 been?
1: Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> eh. <laughs> is that is that a suitable answer? I feel like that's a really like optimistic answer. Eh.
0: Eh is good. Yeah, I feel like eh is like the the best we could possibly <laughs> hope for now. But what about you, Talib? How's your 2020 been?
2: How long have we got?
1: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say how long has the year been. <laughs> it's, it's a year that's felt like about a decade.
0: Just about. Just about. And I feel like, you know, kind of, Kate, to your uh, initial answer of eh, I feel like that should be added to the words that kind of describe 2020. But
1: Sheeple. <laughs> the most fun one on this list is quarantini. I'm like, ooh, okay. I'll have one of those. But the rest of it's I don't just know. sad.
0: My eye went straight to Karen, you know, just like. I, that, that has been just it for well, me. Well,
1: and yes, it has been. But I also feel bad for like actual like people who happen to be named Karen.
0: <laughs> They're fine. That's OK. You're
1: like, they get none of my sympathy. They should have known. Their parents should have known.
0: <laughs> and speaking of Karens, I'm partial to mask hole. That's been one of my favorites. I love a good pun and a, lo- a good effective pun,
2: you know very visual also it works
1: my favorite both in action and in phrase is social distancing I like the sound of it and I also like doing it and I hope it sticks around I I would like to not be crowded ever again like keeping your social distance sounds nice
0: Tal what about you
2: yeah, I I have a few that are not new words to 2020. They always existed, but I guess due to my ignorant self I didn't know that what they were before. Like like a pangolin. I never knew what a pangolin was before 2020. I never knew what QAnon, Proud Boys, Boogaloos were. But apparently they've been a- around for a while. And, and now they're forever in my in my vocabulary, thankfully. For better or worse.
1: It's like you lived in a happier place before 2020. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Like, yeah. Exactly. It's just, oh, God. It's such a simple time. 2019 just seems like a utopia (laughs) 2019
1: who would have thought i
0: know right
1: but (laughs) there's a lot of them that i feel like sound like feel like corporate speak to me like out of an abundance of caution and living in these unprecedented times and the new normal and like all of that i could never hear again and be fine
2: they're like cliche they're becoming cliches
0: of course no it's like boilerplate text like text like it like prefaces every email and it's just like we all know we're all here we get it (laughs) Like i I don't need you to remind me of this (laughs)
1: what these times are unprecedented yeah
0: right hope you and yours are doing well matter of fact no we're not but you know thanks anyway (laughs) well i don't
1: know the well the epitome of that one is we're all in this together said by a celebrity in a mansion like are we are we all in this together?
0: Oh, are we Are we bringing right. up the whole Imagine thing again? Because we can go there. I mean, that whole all the celebrity singing Imagine. We can We can take it there. But, you know, I feel like let's... We could do a rendition of it. Oh, no one needs that.
1: <laughs> I mean, no it's one way too that. early you know, I'm to make, gonna, make I'm everybody go ahead and stop sight. watching. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll end with that.
2: I think a lot of the things that we've just talked about reminded me of another favorite word, which is cove idiots
1: yes mask holes and cove idiots are like their best friends
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, just like two peas and one horrible, horrible pod. Um, But I really wanna hear from people who are watching at home. I mean, like what are some of the words that you wanna leave behind in the new year? Make sure to drop those in the comments section and throughout the live stream, if you have any questions, just you wanna hop in and like make your voice heard on some of these topics that we're gonna be talking about, make sure to drop those questions in the comments as well and we will definitely get to them. Now, I feel like we should probably hop right into all the topics we have, because it's there's a lot to cover, you guys. <laughs> there's a lot to cover, so you know, deep breath. <laughs> we're gonna get through we this together. <laughs> like,
1: this is like a group therapy session. Okay, let's I know.
0: Do it. No, seriously, like this. And you know what? I if I if I had a couch, you know, the, consider this room, you know, the couch for the audience. Right now, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna walk through this together. Just lay down. I got you, okay? Look at me. I got you. So, the the first thing (laughs) we're going to talk about is the way that 2020 changed the way we work. So... Obviously, one of the biggest challenges this year was in March when the country effectively shut down, which meant millions and millions of people, including all of us at Fast Company, had to go from working in an office to working from home. Now, Kate, Secrets of the Most Productive People has been covering this for the past nine months. So can you give us a breakdown of what's been the effect of all of this?
1: Yeah. I mean, actually, at Fast Company, we've been covering that the idea that remote work is like the future of work for a really long time. And even in January, which was part of 2020, but now seems again like a decade ago, we did a package about what the workplace would be like in 2040. And little did we know that 2040 was about to come two months later. To give you like a sense, in 2020, pre-COVID, only about 3 percent of the U.S. workforce was working from home. And then since the restrictions went into place in the spring and then like even now, about 42% of people work from home. And a lot of major companies like REI, Facebook, Zillow, Twitter, Square have said that either the switch is going to be permanent, they're going to shut down, close their offices, or people can opt to have it be permanent.
0: Hmm. I mean, so do you feel like the office culture is ever going to be the same? Like what permanent changes are we going to see moving forward from the pandemic and where we are right now?
1: I mean, I think that there are some people and like I know even at Fast Company, we're divided. Like some of us are some of us were already remote. Some of us now have like myself have changed from being in the office to remote because of this. And then there's some people that like super miss the office. Right. And there's a lot of things that I miss about the office, too. But I think that offices are never going to go away completely. But I do think that that change that we talked about happening 10, 20, 15 years down the road has happened now. And I think it's it's kind of exciting for what it means for like the shape of the country. You know, when you think about all of the a lot of things that we've covered about, like the pipeline and talent and how it's all in San Francisco and New York. Right. Well, if people can live anywhere, then that kind of opens up like the talent base for companies to be anywhere.
0: Yeah. And Talib, how are you? How are you feeling about this? I mean, you know, like, we're all in the same boat, you know, we're all working from home, clearly. So how are you? How have you been coping with this? And what are your thoughts on this changing nature of office culture? I like it. (laughs) Really? Why is that? (laughs) I'll be blessed. I love it. I, (laughs) um, yeah.
2: Well, I I think I'll regret it when we go back and then it'll be, you know, the grass is always greener kind of thing. But I I mean, I do miss the kind of organic social moments. and You know, it's a cliche, but the water cooler moments. I mean, it's nice to have, you know, to bounce ideas off of people, IRL. And I also think it's tough during the winter because it gets dark before we finish work. And then I don't want to go out after I'm done work, right? Whereas if I'm at the office... I'll go and run errands or I'll go to the gym or go to happy hour. I don't want to even go for a walk after work if it's dark. But That's just me.
1: (laughs) Well, I I mean, like the commute thing is real, though, as far as like the pros and cons of it. Right. Of like having a built in commute means that you have especially. Well, if you live in like a city where you take mass transit, like it has. For me, it was like always the time that I read books and I had like me time and now I have no me time. Like I'm a I'm a working parent. So my me time is literally reading a book on the subway. So that's a downside. But then the plus side is like there's no commute, you know, like I can sleep a little bit later and my commute is like five feet. There's been studies that people are actually using that time to work more, which is unfortunate. But I was
0: just about to bring that up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, but you do like regain some more of your life. And especially I think for for parents, it's been so hard trying to work from home and have to take care of your kids at the same time is like, we did a whole series about it on the podcast. It's very time consuming, it's very difficult. But the plus side of that too, is my daughter was born right before COVID And I've been home with her this whole time like working and I've been able to see like her milestones that before I would have seen her an hour a day, you know If that and now like I saw the first time she crawled I saw the first time she rolled over and then I had to like hop on a zoom meeting But I think that you know, that's kind of a plus for some people
0: Yeah, well, I have seen my plant thrive, you know, that's my baby, you know I'm a (laughs) proud plant dad. So it's been nice to you know, be home be home with him as he grows I I, I appreciate that. But yeah, I think for me It's really been, I actually really like it. And, you know, back in October when Fast Company had, um, you know, when we were doing like a lot of taping and work for our uh, innovation festival, I actually realized that like I don't miss it. Because I I made sure I invested in an actual desk, like a standing desk, a good computer, because working from my laptop on my couch was just not going to cut it working from home. And I realized I was like, I kind of have gotten just used to it, I guess, because I am you know as as social of a person as i am i am also a horrible hermit and so this has sort of been um i'm thriving in the pandemic
1: i like same it same a little bit same like I like not having to put on like makeup or shoes or like be like I kind of like this new, more comfortable version of work. But, you know, I I mentioned like I moved like I moved back to my home state of Michigan and I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan now after 15 years of living in New York City. And if this happens, you know, on a large scale, it really has the potential to like change, like I was saying, like change the makeup of countries, but also change the makeup of like local economies. You know, if you think. Instead of having millions of people all huddled in, trying to compete for non-affordable housing in New York City, they can, you know, go to these other states, other communities, and revitalize the economies there. and, and kind of like, bring talent, you know, the, the whole like brain drain problem of people get their education in a state and then they move away to San Francisco or New York, it can kind of like share the wealth of it.
2: Just to add to that, Kate, you know, one thing I, um, I came across in my reporting was the suburbs are likely in the long term to also become more environmentally friendly because millennials or younger families are going to push you know, municipalities to urbanize and to create those, you know, walkable suburbs, the fifteen-minute suburbs, and create more public transport. And so, I think that's a shift that we could see in the long term too. Yeah,
1: I think so. And I think, you know, I've and I've been seeing a lot of people talking about what a big blow it's been to New York City to not have office workers in, and what it's uh, what kind of a blow it's been to the um, economies of the restaurants and everything that are in those areas. And and saying, you know, we have to encourage people to get back to the office as soon as possible. I kind of push against that and say, well, why? Why do we have to try to recreate the world exactly as it was before COVID? Why can we not rethink what work means? And maybe work means remote work. And maybe it means investing in these other communities and maybe to bring back the businesses in Midtown Manhattan means something else, you know, I don't necessarily have the answer of what it is But I think rather than saying this is how we did things before we're all enduring this time And then we're gonna like recreate 2019 again is a mistake
0: And I want to get to one question before we move on to the next topic john from youtube asks What are the developmental concerns for children? uh, Who are basically living without playing with other children and interacting with so few adults? I don't know if anyone's come across any researcher Kate lived experience like how, how are you concerned about you know socializing your children in a pandemic really
1: I that's huge and we like I said on on secrets of the most productive people we did a mini series this fall about reinventing education and we talked to teachers to parents and we talked to epidemiologists about kids going back to school and the health risks but then at the same time the social emotional development risks and the epidemiologist that we talked to actually said for young kids so preschoolers through elementary i think she was mostly focusing on the infection risks and of course like this depends for each family and your circumstances but the like the health risks are not as great as the social emotional risks of being isolated personally like we made the decision i have a four year old to send him to preschool 3 days a week and i think you know, where he's wearing a mask and we're doing everything we can, you know, health wise. But I think it's crucially important for kids and especially young kids. And we've seen this, too, in the reopening plans for schools. Sometimes they'll focus on the younger kids and say high school and college, you know, can still do remote learning, but that it's crucially important for kids to have social emotional interactions. I think this isolation you know, while well, while well Casey and I may thrive as as hermits, <laughs> um, you know, three or four, and five year olds, maybe not as much.
0: Oh yeah, you know, forget about, forget <laughs> about me and my 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 crotchety adultness. Yeah, it is. All, it's all about the kids. Always about the kids. But. Oh yeah,
1: I'm lean. I'm lean. I'm heavily leaning into being a crotchety old.
0: Lady. Yeah. Oh man, so I feel like we we can we can just. move on to the next happy topic. (laughs) (laughs) So 2020, you know, of course, we can't talk about this year without talking about the way that it changed the way we think about policing. So following the murder of George Floyd this past May, protests erupted across the world and in a year otherwise dominated by the pandemic and the election, the Black Lives Matter movement broke through with a force that we've honestly never seen before. And of course, you know, the killing of unarmed black men and women is tragically not unique to 2020. Neither are protests. But what is new is the traction gained by the concept that I'm sure we've all heard a million times by now, and it's defunding the police. So, Talib, I know that you've been covering this for Fast Company and on Fast Break. So, what does defunding the police actually look like in practice?
2: Yeah, I think it's really important to kind of you know explain what that term means uh, because it's getting a little confused with you know abolishing the police, which is not that's not what it is. What defunding the police is, is essentially cutting police budgets and then redistributing some of that money into social programs like housing or education or mental health care. For example, I reported on this one pilot program in Dallas, which uh, you know, one particular neighborhood in Dallas. Instead of sending armed cops to mental health 911 calls, they are now sending a social worker and a parademic. So, you know, what they're trying to achieve from that is first of all the dignity of people with mental health and also it cuts spending. So it, you know, police don't have to spend their time and, and resources sending people to jail or to the ER when they don't need to. So that's a little example of how, in essence, that could be uh, put into practice. I think Albuquerque as well, passed a similar resolution. I'd like to ask you guys what you think about you know, a couple of weeks ago, President Obama. Uh, said that defund the police is kind of a snappy slogan to the point that you would start to lose people by using just such a snappy slogan and, and make it harder to kind of pass what you want to because it's, you know, such a uh, hard thing for people to understand. Do you agree with that? Is there any truth in that?
0: <laughs> Ladies first or black person first? <laughs>
2: I
1: don't, I mean... <laughs> I have opinions, but I know you have opinions I'll go, you for go it. first
0: you go first I mean honestly i I, I completely understand where Obama is coming from because uh, he's thinking he's thinking about how to make this concept palatable to everyone right and I and I understand that but I also understand the criticisms that his comments cause because a lot of people are thinking this is we're not here to make people comfortable. And I think that there is something about defund the police that is that is effective. It is it is pithy. It is like, wow, it catches your attention. And then we can talk about what that actually means, because I feel like it's very easy for the movement and the the conversation to just kind of die down when it's just not. It's easy to ignore because you hear defund the police and it catches your attention. So I think like it's it's almost like, yeah, exactly. It is. That, that's the whole point. It's snappy. It's it's it catches your attention. And now we can actually talk about what that means because we're talking about it now. And so many other people have been talking about it. So I think that it's yes, I would love it if sort of the general public could automatically have a more nuanced sense of what that actually means, not knowing and yes, there are some people who actually want to, you know, completely abolish the police and completely like take funding away. But I think generally speaking, the majority of people want they're just wanting to reallocate a lot of the resources because like what is it you know think that nationwide is over a 100 billion that are spent on policing like that's absurd to me and police are called for from everything to fix potholes to like cats and trees so it's kind of like there, there just needs to be a grand reorganization of resources and responsibility that are attached to police and so I think Yes, it would be great if people kind of got that concept when they first heard it But I do think that you know, we're in an age where we can have these conversations that people are having these conversations And so I'm okay with the title defund the police knowing that there is always going to be some debate and conversation around it to help contextualize it so That's me. (laughs) Kate.
1: I mean, yeah, you think I yeah a hundred percent I was like I know that I know the intention is to make it more palpable But should we and that's exactly it and they're like But on the other hand, you know, you said like understanding that there's more nuance to it. And like we know as journalists, readers don't people on the Internet, like nuance is lost. You read the headline and like I have an opinion based on this phrase, you know, and so people hear the phrase defund the police. and Like that's horrible. I don't want to defund the police. That would be anarchy. And they're not taking they're not going to take the time to like, well, what does that really mean? I don't think that it should change, though, because it's a slogan, like you said, and like it's it's meant to be attention grabbing. And, you know, it's the same. I feel like watering it down is the same, almost akin to the whole the backlash against the phrase Black Lives Matter, you know, with people initially push back and say, no, all lives matter. It's like you're not getting we're not saying that all lives don't, you know, so if you take defund the police and say, oh, actually, what we should say is reallocate the funds like that should be the slogan like it's meant to be attention grabbing it's meant to be you know powerful because it is a powerful statement and then the thing that I always come back to when when the defund the police movement started is I saw a tweet I'm sorry that I don't remember who said it they said defund the police sounds really radical until you realize that we've been defunding education for years Uh, it's like oh say
0: Say that a little bit louder for everyone in the back exactly exactly that exactly
1: you know (laughs) but and also and like and I was having a conversation to Talib's point precisely I was having a conversation with someone somebody the other day that said well you know defund the police is wildly unpopular and i said i don't think it's unpopular i think a misunderstanding of it is unpopular because if you told people should an armed police officer answer a mental health call or should a social worker everybody's going to say social worker people yeah. who say i'm against defund the police will say no a social worker should answer those sorts of calls
2: right i was going to say we don't need we don't need uh, armed police we don't need guns you know, showing up to mental, mental health course. And, and I know there's also been a push to kind of demilitarize the police. There's this program, the 1033 program, which essentially sends free military-grade equipment from the military down to police departments. And that's been, that's been instated for years and years. Obama tried to repeal it a little bit and, and Trump reinstated it. So that, I think that's another really important option as well.
0: And I just wonder if there's, you know, any way to, and maybe this is a question for the audience, if they have any thoughts on this, but for those who are in alignment of keeping the title of defund the police, is there a better way to, is there a better way to brand that? Is there a better way to work within the confines of this slogan to make it more digestible for people? What does that look like? You know, cause I, cause Kate, to your point, so much of, so much nuance is lost in <laughs> like online. I mean, like that's, that's, mm-hmm. that is kind of like how, what social media has become. It's all about the, you know, like the most incendiary headline. Like, what is this tweet? It's all about like, you know, the most like vitriolic reactions. But I wonder if there's a way to keep the energy and keep the, the attention grabbingness of that slogan, but, somehow make it more digestible because it kind of goes back to Obama's point and him kind of, you know, calling it out in a bit because to a certain extent, yeah, he's just kind of right. It is something it turns off a lot of people, but that's because they have just a gross misunderstanding of what it actually means. So I don't know. I'm just wondering if there's a way to sort of rebrand this going into 2021 and beyond, because this is something that we're going to be talking about for years, <laughs> for years and decades to come, because we've been well, talking ho- about it hope for decades. Um, so, yeah,
2: this is a little cynical, but I saw a comment from someone. Well, why doesn't Obama use his platform to explain what it means? And, you know, that kind of goes to the point of we do need to keep the conversation going. We don't want it to, you know, just peter out like conversations on gun control do, you know, every time there's a mass shooting we talk about it, and then it peters out. Maybe people like Obama or, or people with national platforms need to to explain the nuances.
0: For sure, and you know, we could, this is something that I get kind of revved up about, obviously, but I feel like we should probably keep going to something that you would think would be a lighter topic, <laughs> movies. But again, the 2020 effect, it makes everything <laughs> like crap. So, So now we're gonna talk about how 2020 changed how we watched movies.
1: So another huge change in 2020 and something I want to ask you about, in particular, Casey, is what happens to the entertainment industry, particularly movies? Are we ever going to sit in a movie theater again? Or is that even going to be something that people are going to want to do? Tell me everything about the future of entertainment
0: yeah so i mean just to kind of give a scope of the issue um the national association of theater owners estimate that 70 percent of cinemas will close permanently or will be forced into bankruptcy before the spring of 2021 and that represents more than seventy thousand jobs that could be lost now there's a little bit of silver lining here because um Uh, there were people really working on passing Save Our Stages, which is a $15 billion stimulus package for arts and entertainment venues that have been affected by the pandemic. And it seems like the bill is moving forward. In recent interviews, Senator Amy Globachar, who co-authored the bill, said that things are, quote unquote, looking good, and that there is light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccine being more widely distributed. But she was also frank in saying that there is no overnight solution to this, right? I think that there's a lot of kind of mental hurdle, even with even with theaters open, there's a lot of kind of mental hurdles that a lot of people will kind of have to get over of being in an enclosed space like that. So, but, you know, even aside from all that, one thing that has been really interesting for me is how the pandemic in relation to, you know, theater, the theater going experience is changing our relationship with movies as it pertains to watching them at home versus in theaters. And of course, you know, Warner Brothers caused massive waves <laughs> in the industry recently when it announced that it would be releasing its entire 2021 slate in theaters and on a streaming service hbo max simultaneously on this like on the same day which of course upends the traditional model of you know first in theaters and then you know i'm about to say dvd god blockbuster on streaming i was like i am uh, (laughs) dating myself now i still have my blockbuster card oddly enough um And of course, you know, HBO Max like the Warner Brothers decision to do this includes, you know, huge tentpole titles like Dune, like The Matrix 4, and you know, I kind of have an unpopular opinion on this, so I'm just going to open the floor to see what everyone else thinks before I tap in because
1: No, I want to know I want to know what your unpopular opinion is. Is no. it that this is a good thing? Do okay. you think this is the way it should go?
0: Again, to reiterate my 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 hermit status, I actually really like just watching movies at home. I'm actually really excited <laughs> at the fact that you know this is this is gonna be something that shifts. Um, I let me let me let me say this. I can remove myself from the situation enough to say that you know my heart goes out to all the people who are like whose jobs are affected by it because you know the movie industry is not just you know the actors and the producers. we're talking about the people who work at the theaters we're talking about all these things. and so you know, I think but for me personally, I'm OK with it going. I think a lot of people are like, oh, you're, you know, the art of it all is going to it's lost in this, that, whatever. And I'm just fine watching movies at home personally. But, you know, that's just me. I don't know what everyone else thinks. Um, tell me. Tell me how you feel about this.
1: I mean, I feel like your opinions are probably a lot more informed than mine. My opinions are that I think that people crave experience, especially after this year. I think people crave doing something and going somewhere and having a communal experience of watching a movie. I think we're going to be really fatigued at watching everything from our couches. And I feel like there's that's already been a glimmer during this, you know, like Think about the resurgence of drive-in movie theaters. Like people really desperately wanted to get out of their homes. But I don't know. I mean, my yeah, I, I feel like movie, the, movie theaters are not going away is my uninformed Kate opinion of this. But yeah, I, w- I want to know what, what is real.
2: I, no, I hope you're right about the movie theaters, Kate, because I, I, I miss the movie. Uh, I miss the cinema experience. I miss sitting down in a bougie New York City movie theater and, and sipping a themed cocktail. and just being pretentious about it all. Um, I wonder, you know, Casey, you might have some more insight on this. Do you think that the discourse around TV shows and movies has changed this year? Because we're all kind of at home watching the same thing. There's maybe a shortage of content and there's maybe more things that we're watching together You know, everyone watched Tiger King and, you know, Love is Blind. (laughs) Doesn't mean it was good stuff we were watching. But do you think it's kind of like, you know, harking back to the old days of waiting a week for a show and everyone kind of on the same page about it?
0: Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's I think we're kind of in terms of like how we in terms of like what people are, you know, talking about because we're all watching things at home, I think. To me, it's interesting because I feel like the window between uh theatrical release and it being a- available to like rent on iTunes or whatever, that was already shortening drastically in some way. And of course, like HBO Max, like releasing everything that definitely seems like really drastic. But to me, it's like. It's almost been shortening anyway, to some degree. So I don't, I don't, from my point of view, I don't necessarily think it's changed how we, like, I, I guess, like how quickly people talk about, uh, like, what's in theaters, or what's coming out, or our relationship to TV. I think, you know, kind of going back to Kate's point, because, you know, I was... <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear everyone else's point because I, I don't miss the theater going experience. There was a time where I loved it, but then I just hate being around well, people. So I'm a hermit and I just feel like <laughs> it's just so agitating. Like, but it's what just,
1: if they were socially so distant? Agitating.
0: Well, okay. So what's interesting about that is that, you know, they're one of the one of the representatives, I want to say the president of, you know, the National Association of Theater Owners, like he was basically saying that, you know, to quell people's concerns about like being in a room, he's like, well, it's different than a church or a gym or anything like that, because like, you're not talking like you're sitting still, you know, you have a mask on, you know, they're typically like high ceilings. And I was like, that sounds great in theory. And I get it. But also, it's like, when have you not been in a theater and someone's like is like ho- like hacking up a lung? When have you not been in a theater and somebody's like taking off their mask, to like yeah. eat or drink? When have you not been in a theater and somebody is actually talking? So I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm shook. I'm not going. One, I didn't even like to go to the theater to begin I, with, but now, no, 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 no,
1: no. <laughs> I feel like these two things could converge, maybe. So, you know, to Talib's point about liking to go to bougie uh, movie theaters, <laughs> I think there was like a rise in that sort of experience, you know, like Alamo Drafthouse, House, Nighthawk, all of these different chains that made it not being packed in like sardines, watching movies, but like having your own little table and being more socially distant, right? Like and obviously drive in movies, you're more distant. Like I think people will crave some sort of an experience and maybe post covid will still have the little like scariness, uncomfortableness of being packed in. And so like maybe the movie going experience will become more ugh, for lack of a better word, like bespoke. You know, like a more something sort of an experience. But I don't think it's going to go away completely. And I don't think movie theaters want it or studios or businesses want it to go away completely.
0: And I think, yeah, that's really it. I think a lot it's I think what's going to be interesting in sort of the now that we're in these winter months, you know, like how how is that going to play out exactly with like drive through? Is like making sure that we still have some form of um, some sort of interaction? Because I think you were completely right that like be like people are kind of craving some sort of some sort of like social component to movie theaters even though it is mainly just like you and the screen but I understand. I can I can step outside of my own you know (laughs) my own hermit shell and understand that that's what some people want. But yeah, I think I think you know sort of like the 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 overall sentiment is that yes, absolutely. You know, theaters are going to take a massive massive hit. Many smaller chains, many smaller independent theaters are probably not going to open again. Um, And it's the exact same parallels in the music industry. You know, the big dogs are going to be okay to some extent, but I do think. What I'm most interested in in really seeing how what how this plays out is just the distribution of it all. Because I think that this whole thing with HBO Max is kind of a game changer because these are huge titles that even to kind of to that point, I wonder if this is gonna change sort of Hollywood's perspective on making these giant tenpole movies. Because we've seen them like push back like Wonder Woman, like back, 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 because in you know, the new James Bond movie, because they know that the only way to make their money back is to have it in theaters, is to have that revenue generated by going to the theaters. And you're just not going to see that with streaming services. So I I wonder and I kind of hope if this is going to possibly create more of a a sort of like middle ground, a middle tier for movies, because that has been when it comes to like budget wise, because that's all but disappeared. It's always just been like there's been such a huge focus on these massive, massive superhero movies and all that. And that's those are fine. But. You know, I think there's a lot of like mid-budget movies that have been overlooked for that. And so I wonder if this is gonna have some effect, if like Hollywood is gonna start producing some more like middle tier movies. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, I think there. There's just like I said at the top of the show, there's just no possible way to cover everything, and we are gonna kind of end things <laughs> with like a lightning round. I want to do some quick hits on some events and trends of 2020 that have been on our minds. And so, Kate, let's start with you.
1: Yeah. So the the very quickly it changed democracy in a huge way, both the way we vote, the way our confidence in democracy, um, it can't be understated. Um, But one of the the biggest changes that I think about that kind of got a little bit uh, snowed over in the, the crazy media storm of the fall was the big the changes on the Supreme Court. I mean, we lost so many humongously influential people this year john lewis and ruth bader ginsburg are some of the the two that loom the largest for me and have left like such a huge hole again with how insane the news cycle was i think we didn't really take the time as a nation to recognize what a loss rbg was and what a loss she was and then what a humongous, lifetime-lasting change her super-swift replacement of Amy Coney Barrett on the, the court means for the future of the country, the future for women's reproductive freedom, the future of equality overall. I mean, in a regular news year, the death of a Supreme Court justice alone ver- and a shooing in of a of a new Supreme Court justice like that would have been the story of the year. And this year, it was just like... Oh, yeah, another crazy thing that happened.
0: Talib, quick, lightning round.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That was such a
0: slow
2: lightning, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) I will... No, you're fine. I'll build on that. I I wonder whether... uh, The way we voted this year, right, mail-in ballots... And early voting, I wonder whether that will become a thing in the future, you know, a standardized thing in the future. Obviously, it has erased some confidence in democracy on the right. Trump has basically made mail ballots the enemy and the cause of fraud. But I wonder, you know, I I talked to a few experts, uh, voting experts, and they're actually against making Election Day a national holiday because they said it it shrinks the opportunities that people will have for voting. Instead, we should be expanding mail voting, expanding early voting. But with the backlash now, I wonder whether that's going to happen. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like the high voter turnout, I wonder too. Like we had such high voter turnout this year. And was it... You know a perfect storm of of like the polarization of trump, but also the access of mail-in voting Is it something that's we're gonna sustain or was it a flash in the pan? Like we're never gonna have this kind of turnout again.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know Just thinking about all the things in 2020. I actually did a quick article about (laughs) About Megan and Harry having a new podcast and I remember that it was in this year that they defected from the royal family. And as yeah. someone who, as someone who doesn't actively follow the royals, I mean, it's just like, I'm one of those people that's just kind of like, uh, I kind of, my ears perked up when Megan came up because I was like, hey, hashtag black princess. But I think that <laughs> it was so interesting that how they just, how they just bounce. And they're like, we're going to be financially independent. And now they've been, they had this mega deal with Netflix. They have this huge deal with Spotify. And I just think it was just a really, it kind of took me back. I was like, holy God, this happened this year. <laughs> like, that feels like forever ago because this new cycle has been insane. So I think the way the 2020 changed uh, sort of like the royal family. And, you know, I think that that's something that I'm that I definitely am thinking about a lot these days.
2: And have have you been watching The Crown as well?
0: I know exactly. Oh, listen, if the crown is still going to be on, I cannot wait for that arc. Oh my God.
1: I know. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, wait for that storyline. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's like the same thing as like in a regular year, like the royals defecting would have been like a huge story. And now we're like, oh, that was a thing that happened. Eh. You know, like this seems so long ago and so kind of almost non. Non-consequential in like such a huge year. Um, I'm going to bring it down like a million notches and say, we well, you can't talk about 2020 and you can't talk about COVID without talking about the staggering loss of life this year. It's like the undercurrent in every single thing we're talking about, and I think you know it's something that we've almost become numb to because the numbers have gotten so huge. 300,000 Americans and 1.6 million people worldwide have died. And that's, you know, you hear all these comparisons. It's a 9-11 worth of people a day. It's more than died in combat in World War II. The real deaths of real people who were loved and whose family and friends in most cases, and that's the other crushing thing about this year, whose family and friends didn't get to properly mourn, didn't get to say goodbye, didn't get to hold funerals. And I wonder... You know, we talked a little bit about trauma of, you know, impacts like the long lasting trauma that this is going to have. You know, we talk at Fast Company a lot about business implications, those sorts of implications, but like on a personal level for people, I think this year is one that we're going to be collectively recovering from for a long time. And, you know, I think in the same way that World War II defined a generation, I think COVID, especially for kids coming up now, will define their their generation. Taleb, you got you got a one yeah, that's a, well, I, <laughs> a little bit happier <laughs> than that <laughs>
2: i think um no i i agree with you kate i think that's it's important to us to actually just take time and reflect on on that you know sometimes uh i i will try and bring it up a little bit uh i think sports you know we talked about pandemic viewing i think sports has been a, a lifesaver for me uh you know it, it's we've had some very weird schedules. There's Premier League on right now, which I'm missing, so thank you. Uh, And there's, um, you know, weird fake fans and fake fan chants, so it's been a weird year. But let's talk about, let's think about, there was an NBA bubble. I mean, how crazy to think that we had all the stars of the NBA quarantining together at Walt Disney World for a season. I, you know, I, I like to think that they should have combined the NBA and the great British bake-off bubbles. I think that would have been fun. Baking cakes. You know, just, just to finish off it, you know, the NBA has been really leading the charge on that front and, and also leading the charge uh, with the support for Black Lives Matter. They've really influenced how the Premier League has handled their support and and, and the NFL now, too. You know, as reluctant as it might be, the NFL has changed its tune And I think we really can't minimize the cultural effect that sports have on on people. Wow,
0: that's true. And you know, I I guess I guess my last lightning round thing. You know, what I'm why not? I'm just gonna give it to Beyonce. Thank you, Beyonce, and Parkwood Entertainment for. <laughs> <laughs> I want to end on a happy note because I feel like you know she gave us she gave us a, a, an anthem for Juneteenth Black Parade. She gave us Black is King, which is just a gorgeous piece of art. She gave us Chloe and Hallie's like you know debut album, which is amazing. So I just feel like you know, and just honestly the way 2020 changed black content in general because I feel like when it comes to obviously putting stories of marginalized communities is always, you know, this is something that people have been asking for and I think in a way this year has really shown a spotlight on it not just and hopefully, you know, it's been a very direct spotlight on black content, but hopefully that will cause ripple effects for other underrepresented communities um that, you know, don't see themselves in entertainment as much, you know. I want to see stories about, you know, indigenous people. I want more, you know, I want more stories that just represent represent really what America is. And who comprises america and so i think you know hopefully 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 that you know this year when it comes to just like getting these stories out there and empowering the people to and empowering the right people to tell these stories hopefully that you know this is something that is really been going on in the the black community but hopefully that'll spill over into other communities as well and so yes so thank you thank you thank you beyonce and thank you netflix for you know putting out all these black classics like Moesha and you know, the Parkers and all that on streaming. So I appreciate that. Um, I think that that's all the time I
1: like how you took it from Beyonce too and you made a bigger point.
0: yeah, listen. I do. And I this. hope it lasts. You're this right. Is I is what I, think I it's, do. Like,
1: it's like this. <laughs> well, good. People should listen to your podcast.
0: Exactly. <laughs> to that point, you know, I think that if
1: you like more of this. Seriously, no. I was
0: gonna say thank you for just like teeing up that segue into the outro, <laughs> because honestly, you know, this is this is all the time we have for today, and you know, I think that we were able to still have uh, what was hopefully an insightful discussion on 2020, which has abs- been such a unprecedented year (laughs) Um, and I want to make sure that everybody you know if you want to hear more from all of us make sure you listen to Kate's podcast secrets of the most productive people talib's podcast fast break and of course my podcast creative conversation make sure to subscribe to those wherever you listen to your podcast and we will certainly be continuing to cover all of these topics and more in 2021 and beyond and so thank you so much for joining me Kate and Talib and thanks everyone at home for watching and I hope everyone has a happy holiday and fingers crossed happy new year 2021 please don't let us down
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. can't be worse
0: (laughs) there we go can't be worse thanks everyone
1: bye happy
2: holidays